So what's this album? Oh, so I found this album. It's from, it was released in September. And I know you kind of maybe like jazz a little bit, hopefully. Uh, but it's called Space 1.8 yeah. by Nala Sinefro. Okay. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Do you think that sounds right, Greg? Yeah, Sinefro, Sinefro. Yeah, that would be my Something guess like too. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's but- like ambient jazz, but it's really good. It's great. Um, it sounds very. Awesome. It's very modern too. I love that it's. It's kind of like synthy, uh, as you know, in addition to being having some you know more uh, traditional jazz instruments and takes in there. It's great. Yeah, I, I've been. I was just telling Kill. It's been my go-to drive around at night music. It's it's fucking perfect for setting in. Mm. I mean, it's it's very. Uh, okay. You know, uh, you kind of feel like the Ryan Gosling from Drive at times. You know, it's beautiful, but also kind of gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it's relaxing and, uh, yeah. and cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's my relaxing and like uplifting, calm, calm down and get happy kind of music. Sounds exactly what I need after the morning <laughs> I had. So, yeah, it's wonderful. It's been very yeah. atmos- atmospheric for my whole rainy week here in Los Angeles. It's been it's been kind of dour, just like a you know. But this kind of helps make it more of a vibe, I guess. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it's like my favorite kind of movie, the kind where every time you watch it or every time you listen, you you hear something new or you see something new. That's what I feel like this album is. Kind of, I notice something else, and like if I'm listening just from my phone, like my speaker on my phone, it sounds like different obviously but you put on the headphones and it's like a whole experience and i think it's a masterpiece that's just my personal opinion but i thought you were gonna say uh like my favorite type of movies the ones where the world ends at the very end of it (laughs) there's a shunting and then everybody dies yeah 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 well today's movie isn't all bad i guess we're talking about psycho from 1960 welcome everyone to the weekly podcast massacre i'm your host today kill here are my friends meet them hi i'm michael from portland oregon but everyone calls me murphy uh and i'm greg from los angeles hello i think that might have been my best intro uh, yet guys no. <laughs> Nailed it. it was it was quite good uh is there music coming from oh, somewhere shit. i'm sorry yeah that was me uh okay. <laughs> I completely. I was. I had Space Point Eight on, and I totally forgot about it. Oh my god! Yeah, that was the affirmation to ambient jazz. Yeah. So it's so ambiance. We'll we'll see if um that gets picked up if we get hit with you know copyright infringement. <laughs> Fuck. Nala, we were we were just trying to promote you. Yeah, it's, this, this is, is a, all for you. It's a review, right? I think reviews are free use. It's totally we were a review. I had it just playing on my phone, and I have my headphones on, so I could barely hear it. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna give oh it a rating. God. There is something gonna rate in the background. Yeah. Once, if we rate it, it's all for use. Fuck. Uh, I get five shunts, right? <laughs> out of spaceships? <laughs> spaceships? It's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Out of spaceships. Yeah. I'll give it a five out of five. All right, man. <laughs> okay, never mind. It was not not my best intro. So we'll just move on. <laughs> I fucked it up. <sighs> okay. So we're talking about Psycho, which is also a masterpiece of a movie. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Everybody knows, probably. And this was written by uh, a man named Robert 
Bloch or Bloke, B-L-O-C-H. I don't know. Um, but it's based on a book, this novel that this dude wrote. And the novel is loosely based on murderer and grave robber Ed Gein. You familiar with Ed Gein? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's kind of what led me to first hear of, not hear a psycho, but kind of like get more interested in it, was mm. hearing that he was based off of Ed Gein in addition to, like, uh, you know, Leatherface and, um, wait, wait, who's, yeah. there's one more, right? That's, that's uh, Hannibal. Him. Hannibal, yes. Hannibal yeah. Lecter for... Exactly. Well, and I can't remember specifically if he I was a cannibal, but, like, I, I know that was... With it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, that part of it was knowing that he was kind of the first like, real serial killer that they kind of examined in yeah. in a modern setting and then yeah, it was like the monster that all the next monsters get based off of. I'm not right. sure he yeah. uh, qualifies as a serial killer cuz I think he only killed two people. It was mostly he robbed graves and did things to the bodies. R- robbed graves. Yeah. 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 He gets lumped into that that category just because of like the egregiousness of what yes. he's doing, pretty much. Like Charles Manson, even though Manson never actually killed anybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or yeah, then but like you know, Gein just has this kind of like you know that I heard that as a real young child. Oh yeah, there was a serial killer named Ed Gein, and these popular movies are based on him, and so you kind of lump him in with these fictional killers too, you know. Right. Yeah. It always kind of leads me down a rabbit hole of reading about Ed Gein, Ed Gein again. <laughs> Looking at his furniture. So exactly. the screenplay <laughs> was adapted into a screenplay by Joseph Stefano. The uh, opening of the movie, I'm just going to jump right in, is done by uh, Saul Bass, who is uh, who was a graphic designer and made some films i think too but he did a lot of movie posters and you guys totally know them the shining that yellow one with like the face oh yes okay yeah super famous yeah. anatomy of a murder it's like a cartoony mm-hmm. body okay. yep that one very famous he did vertigo which is also very famous um that, well, that one's Lake my is favorite missing. and is yeah oh yeah they're wonderful titles one. it's it's so cool and it um plays on top of the soundtrack which is just one of the like top five of all time like that just that theme is so like an earworm that i'm just i was humming it for the rest of the day oh yeah and that's done by bernard herman it's the best who whenever anybody's like oh if you were you know your life story was a movie who would be the composer i always say bernard herman i don't know if that would fit by my life story but he's just like the um North by Northwest theme is another one by him. He he's just he's awesome. Everybody involved in this movie is amazing, and I'm obviously obsessed with it um, because this is my first well, we favorite mention... movie. Right. <laughs> yes, which goes go. with our theme for the month, which is uh, favorite or firsts, our first scary movie, first whatever, first favorite movie for me. Um, I think I had, you know, movies that I liked when I was younger as well, but I don't really remember them. But this is my first favorite movie that I really remember getting into. Um, so I will tell you. How old yes. were you, like, when you're yeah. getting into it? Exactly. So I was uh, in, I believe it was fifth grade, my birthday. Um, this is, again, my. this was the start of the sleepovers where we would watch scary movies when we had these sleepovers. So... Um, it was my birthday and my mom was like, let's watch Psycho. It's this classic scary movie. I said I wanted to be scared. So 
we watch it. It's me. And I know, I think there were four of us. It's like my little friend group. There were four of us. So we sat down, we watched Psycho. And I remember being scared. I was just scared. And like, it's a black and white movie. Usually it's hard to get kids to watch black and white movies, I feel like. But I, it just really scared the shit out of me. And then we all went to bed. We got in our little sleeping bags. And my mom had borrowed a taxidermied squirrel from one of her coworkers and shoved it in my sleeping bag. So... <laughs> Uh, I started screaming and also scared the shit out of me. So it was a a fun little birthday party. And one of the girls that was there, um, she told me that she uh, took showers with the shower curtain open after that. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Which is very funny to me. I, I can see that. I can certainly see why that that birthday sticks in your memory. That is, <laughs> yeah. What a roller coaster, Jesus. Yep, it was fun. What about you? What about you guys? When did you first see Psycho? I can't really remember the first time. Like it had to be into middle school, beginning of high school. Like when I really started getting into film. And all, and I, I think uh, Rear Window might have been the first one of the the Hitchcocks that oh, I saw, yes. and I, I became a big fan to the point where I, uh, I still have this. I brought this from across the country. This is what I watched it out of. Ooh. It's a, uh, it's harder to see. It's like a velvety box that has 14 movies. Oh, that's wow. beautiful. Um, yeah, and it has like his silhouette. Yeah. on it yeah i've seen that at the uh the amoeba records here in la they have that like in their kind of like more expensive collectors one section. of the things to buy yeah, okay, yeah. i just it's I, always drawn my I eye i got it's beautiful. it for uh christmas or, or, or birthday or something like that and just treasured it to the point where i was like well obviously i'm moving across the country i should bring <laughs> this with me but yeah i i've always been a, a big fan to the point where i have read uh hitchcock Truffaut which is just Ooh. one of the the most like perfect books like you don't even need to go to film school if you read this book i think it covers almost everything <laughs> perfectly of you know one of the most famous french directors or asking questions interviewing the most famous director i would say yeah. probably right like oh yeah it's yeah. up for debate but i think everybody knows hitchcock but yeah, it's a wonderful book. I anyone that's interested in film should should read it. Cool. I think Rear Window is okay. my second favorite Hitchcock movie. Mine might be Vertigo, as I've said before. Uh, as I, said, I think Vertigo ago. is my favorite. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Vertigo is my third. Uh, I, it's <laughs> if I'm if I'm going back to um, I think the first Hitchcock I may have seen is probably Strangers on a Train, like in in full. But before that, like like you said, he's the most famous director probably. And I, I mean, I haven't seen a huge majority of his, he's made a lot of movies and, uh, <laughs> you know, I've seen only bits of like North by Northwest and like, um, you know, a few of the other more famous ones, but, um, Psycho was one where it's like, I, I had seen it in pieces, you know, just kind of throughout my life. You see clips of like every scene is kind of thrown around as like, oh, the best on whatever lists, you know, um, I feel like VH1 used to put together a bunch of like, you know best fucking you know movies of the 60s or whatever and they would always throw psycho on it whatever you see it pop up on like pop culture lists 
you know, when I was a kid and like, uh, I just feel like I knew the whole movie, but I didn't watch it in full to me three years ago. It's kind of a recent, like, you know, uh, favorite because I've seen it like 10 times since then. <laughs> but um, I was kind of late to like watching the movie in full is what I'm trying to say. Wow. <gasps> I just remembered something that happened. Another psycho thing that happened. So I was walking with my friend and this is when I lived in a different place. Not my hometown, but I was walking with my friend and the local symphony had this big poster advertising that they were doing, um, like showing movies and then and then the symphony would be playing the soundtrack. Like they sit underneath a screen kind oh, of yeah. so you can oh, see man. them. Yeah. yeah. So I was looking at this list and they were doing Psycho and I said, holy shit, I need to go to this. And so my friend was like, yeah, I'll go with you. And so we went in and got tickets and then we went, I think it was like the week after that or something. So we go. And, you know, we get all fancy to go to the symphony. We're watching Psycho. I was so excited. And I'm sitting there. So then at the end of the movie, like, the the big reveal happens. And my friend, like, shrieks out loud. And I look over at her. And she's looking at me. And she's like, oh, my God. And I go, wait, have you seen this before? She said, no, this is my first time seeing this. So that was an amazing experience. I thought everybody had seen Psycho. I thought everybody, like you said, had seen, (laughs) like, the shower scene, had seen all these clips and, like, the parodies and you know like even the simpsons they parody it like everybody does yeah everybody has pretty much and so you've seen it like bits of the movie really through other things all the time and i just it was like it was so cool to be with somebody who had never seen that before yeah it's it's a great experience i probably should have started that was yeah i mean that was my first introduction all of it was the parodies probably the simpsons first i would imagine Mm -hmm. you know but i remember like that show has like a psycho parody at one point with kelso in the shot right it's all over the place, you know, for decades. <laughs> uh, I have a friend just like that who I remember when they were doing the, uh, you know, summer re-releases a couple of years ago. Uh, I was like, hey, let's go see Grease. <laughs> and it's just like me and another, you know, like young 30s guy and then just women all around us pretty much. And we sit down and he goes, so uh, what's this movie about? And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for coming, but and he enjoyed it. But yeah, I like it is one of those things of how how do you not know this? This is everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's like everyone knows that that shower scene and that music. Even the you know the music itself probably over the actual vision. I don't know which is more famous, like you know, because that music is just kind of it's known as like horror movie music. It's used as a joke all the time, you know. Yeah, like, like way out music. of context. Yeah. 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 I always think of Garth at Wayne's World stabbing the donut man doing the, the the psycho music, you know? Yeah, it's all over the place for so, so long. And, like, uh, it's DNAs in other movies, like Halloween, you know, and every, like, Italian right. giallo slasher, probably, you know? When I f- did watch it in full, it was cool to learn. You know, there's more to it than just, like, what I had just absorbed through uh, pop culture. <laughs> now, we... We did mention it last week, but I'm just curious, Greg, did you happen to see the uh, Gus Van Zant version first? Or have you no, seen the Gus um, Van Zant version? I've seen little bits of it. I've seen like side by side comparisons things on YouTube years and years and years ago. Right. But like, uh, so I have not watched it. I, I know people who have who I, I have one friend who was super into it. Not to the level of saying it's better, but he was just like, it's it's still fun to watch on its own. It's its own thing. And he, you know, like enjoys it as an, you know. That's kind of so. how I feel about it. Like it is, it, it's, 
difficult to compare since it is basically shot for shot with color and then different people. But the performances, I think, are are worth it. Vince Vaughn yeah. is very creepy. I think he does a good job when he uh, pulls the, those turns instead of, like, the comedic funny guy in, like, Clay Pigeons or, um, you know, Freaky. The little bits that he is, you know, scary, he's very good in. So it, it is a very interesting turn with... Um, it's like William H. Macy is the detective, Julianne Moore... Anne Heche is Janet Lee's character. I believe Vigo Mortensen is I mean, the boyfriend. Yeah. Any mo- yeah, Vigo. I love Vigo, so I, I, I will definitely be theaters. watching it with like an open mind. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I was. What did you think as a diehard? The only time fan? I ever you, saw you it. You were one of the three people. Yep. When I was twelve. <laughs> 13 I think yeah so my mom took me because you know the original one's my favorite movie and so we went to go see it and there is there really there are a couple things that are different like when Arbogast the detective gets murdered he has like a weird flashback thing and there's like a cow in a field and that kind of stuff and it being in color and like that's what I remember and I, I do remember him looking in the wall and like the he's obviously masturbating and in the original movie that's not as obvious <laughs> yeah. as it was in that one so i i remember that but i just remember afterward like not being really into it at all and also being like why was it a shot for shot remake <laughs> like even when i was 12 or 13, i need to like, to rewatch because I, I, I forgot philip baker hall plays the sheriff and robert forster plays the doctor at the end that does that like speech oh wow i the love those guys so i'm i gotta rewatch it all right, we're 20 minutes in and we haven't really talked about anything movie-wise yet. So, um, Well, I think this one is it, – it's a lot of the scenes are, like, very short descriptions, but the tension, and that's what he – and, like, Hitchcock is great at. He yes. stretches that tension even though, like, the, the premise is a very quick explanation. Yes. And it also, um, do you know the reason why it was in black and white? Because at this point, they had color movies. His movies before this were in color. Any idea why? Right, yeah. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Oh, man, I have read up all on this before, but it, did it have something to do with it? I think it was originally maybe Paws would conceive as like a television movie at one point, right? Well, he was doing his television show, so he... Um, he yeah. wanted to do it on a tight budget, so Diabolique was a small scale, gritty black and white independent movie that uh, I think it was like somebody said that that Diabolique had out Hitchcocked Hitchcock or something like that, and so he was like, "Fuck that! Um. I can do a, a low budget black and white <laughs> scary movie that's even more that's even more impressive than Diabolique." So that's what that's what he did. So he used his TV crew instead of. Like he didn't. the The budget was eight hundred seven thousand dollars. I see. Yeah, which wasn't Jesus. very much at all. So, um, right. Yeah, he was trying to out Diabolique, Diabolique, <laughs> and direct his own small scale, <laughs> gritty black and white project that turned into Psycho, which is obviously, I guess, more well known. It's like the most well known scary movie, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, another thing, just real quick before we get into it. Do you know about the, like, advertisement that went on before the movie? About not being let into it, like, 
Right. After the survey time had started, yeah. They were pushing so hard that, like, Hitchcock even had, like, recordings basically saying that, like, you deserve it to yourself to see (laughs) the entire film. And that we will not allow you to do a disservice to yourself. So we're not going to allow you into the theater, like, after it starts. Which... You could probably miss like 15, 20 minutes of this movie <laughs> and not really miss that much, to be honest. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. I mean, like he the part of the reason he is the like most famous director probably is because he is and he's so good at marketing. Like that is, yeah. you know, just a textbook example of like getting people intrigued and rushing to get there on time. And did you watch seats, whatever his trailer for this, though? <laughs> it's him. Like, it's so good. I love his trailers. Tour- yeah. It's like him doing a tour of the Bates Motel, like the the shooting location. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck yeah. is this?" It's kind of it's funny. really strange. Yes, uh, his trailers are incredible. If you haven't watched the trailer for the birds, too, uh, it's so it's so so funny. Can and you imagine that? Like nowadays, like J.J. Abram just walks onto the set of the Millennium Falcon, and he's just telling you about yeah. all the things he's gonna do <laughs> do you don't see any clips of star wars you just see like the <laughs> setting and the director and he like, like points basically and... jerking himself off yeah. like auditorily exactly yeah that's where i saw harrison ford and chewbacca like take a coffee break <laughs> yeah. between set yeah exactly i would love it if trailers continued that way they should have like just each little like independent weird art projects about the movie you know instead of just like telling you what the movie's about all right, so our lead character, uh, played by Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates, everybody knows that name, Marion Crane, who we think is the main character of the movie, or I guess kind of is, I don't know, is Janet Lee. <laughs> we also have Vera who Miles. Who gets the and in the title. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Vera Miles plays Lila Crane. Martin Balsam plays Detective Arbogast. And John Gavin plays mr sam loomis which is a famous uh horror name <laughs> and i just have to say he was super attractive like out of just like leading men amazing um i guess yeah, i think uh, was it hitchcock somebody said that his performance was bland or something that he was like the worst part of the movie but i don't i thought he was fine that was an odd comment yeah I know. I he's, think that's he's good like the character. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's like a guy who works at a hardware store and lives in the back. He's divorced. Like pays yeah. out. There's he not a lot debt. to him. <laughs> yeah. Except for his right. looks, it's it's important that he's hot so that it's believable she would steal a bunch of money to go live with him. You know. <laughs> yes. So we already talked about the opening a little bit with the Bernard Herrmann score over the top of it. That's just so good the way that the typeface like splinters it's very organized design wise when you look at it very clean and organized but the way that it splinters and kind of like comes it's pretty fast when like the text falls in and then comes out um it feels frantic in a way kind of like norman now that i'm watching this as an adult i'm thinking that he comes off subdued and kind of childlike um but then he has these like frantic moments obviously like when he murders people Definitely. so the title sequence done by Saul Bass which we already said and he's a uh, very well known you kind of like, like learn about him in design school and stuff yeah um can I say one of my favorite things that Saul Bass has done is he designed like the 70s Warner Brothers logo when it's just like those three lines oh okay um they recently used that like in front of Joker I think 
this is my sometimes they pull it out of the vault but that is such, that is my favorite like movie studio logo it's it's the simplest coolest thing yeah so he's one of those that's, that's my favorite salt bass design an, a designer i guess that like everybody knows but you just you don't necessarily know that this one dude did all of this stuff i've definitely heard the name so like super iconic stuff oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So after that, um, um, the music kind of slows down a little, and we see a city, and the city is Phoenix. It tells us it's Phoenix. It's December 11th at 2.43 p.m., and then we zoom into a hotel room, and it's kind of like we're peeping. We're the voyeurs peeping on this couple in the hotel room um, in the middle of the day, obviously, 2.43, and they're getting dressed. So um, I guess that was... Hitchcock's plan is to kind of make it seem like we are also voyeurs because he used a 55 millimeter lens on a 35 millimeter camera and I guess that that specifically to make it feel I guess it's the most close to actual human vision so that's why he used that combination I think that's pretty neat because it does feel like you're peeping as well just genius yeah Yeah. oh yeah and uh, especially for this time it, it feels wildly like salacious you know Yes. Like, it's, it's, it's as close as you can get to being, you know, controversial without actually showing anything or, you know, it's all just heavy, heavy implication. Um, yeah, there's so a lot in this feel, movie where you're yeah. just like, why does that even matter? Like, this conversation that we're about to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, I mean, she's, like, half-dressed as shit's opening up. And then there's a, a scene even later on where she's just in her bra. So, it's like, it is very, Yeah. They, this is the first Racy movie. The this time. is the very first movie that showed a toilet on screen. <laughs> so this movie was groundbreaking. I'm not joking about that. It's a big deal. So we meet these real estate agent or a, a real estate secretary named Marion Crane and her boyfriend Sam Loomis, and they're discussing how they can't get married because Sam has debts. This is why I'm just like, why the fuck does it matter? So Marion says it's the last time that they can meet at a hotel like this during lunch. And she wants to have a respectable relationship with, and Sam agrees, but then complains about having to pay his dead father's debts and alimony to his ex-wife. And she wants to get married, but he's worried about being poor, I guess. To, to the point where he's like, you know, what are you, you're just going to, you know, stay in the back of the hardware store with me, you know, when I send off my check to the you know my wife like you can look the stamps and then she gives the great i'll look the stamps Uh, yeah i love that she's in for it yeah she loves him for him i think it's 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 an old school like masculine thing of like oh i won't have you know any like outstanding obligations to anybody else before i commit myself to you type of thing right take care of her and like he's yeah not able to i mean it is the old right masculine way of like he wants to provide for her and is unable yeah. to. And it's also 1960, so divorce is still super scandalous. So that probably plays some part oh, yeah, in true. it where it's like, oh, he's divorced, you don't want to date him kind of thing as well. So Marion returns to work after the hotel, and we get to see the the famous Hitchcock cameo. He's standing on the street outside in a Stetson hat, just waiting for a bus or something, I think. Uh, so we meet Marion's, yeah. yeah, just kind of hanging out there. We meet Marion's coworker. Oh yeah. Also, Hitchcock wanted to put his cameo early in the movie so that people weren't like waiting for it. He wanted them to pay attention to the movie and not wait for his <laughs> cameo. Cause yeah, yeah. So um, we meet Marion's coworker Carolyn, who's played by Patricia Hitch- Hitchcock, Alfred's daughter, and 
I love this character. She's like one of the funniest. There's so there's things in this movie that my friends and I used to quote when we were kids because we thought it was really funny. And Patricia Hitchcock is oh yeah, like I I really like this character. So the boss man comes in and he's got uh, another uh, a man with a hat that comes in with him, and the hat man mentions that they don't have air conditioning, which seems unsafe in Arizona. But again, it's 1960s. He sits on the corner of Marion's desk and is flaunting this money. It's $40,000 in cash, which if you think about it, I mean, that's still a lot to have in cash nowadays. But back then it was, I, I did a little money yeah. financial did you guys translation. Look it up? 3,700, wait, $375,605.41. Jesus yeah. Christ. In cash. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, like, buying a house, like, that price today, like, it would not be a very nice house. But, again, like, interest rates, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. It depends it, on where you are. Cause a, that's going to be a really nice house. Almost $400,000 house. It's really fucking nice. Oh, I guess I'm thinking in Portland. <laughs> like, yeah. I could barely buy a two-bedroom condo. For that amount you in could Portland buy like right close now. to a mansion so, then, where i live which is why I, I live here because i can afford to live and not stress about money yeah yeah that may not get you a house at all in los angeles <laughs> that the that's the down payment on the cardboard box for los yeah. angeles <laughs> so anyway he's throwing that money around in her face and carolyn says i declare i, <laughs> I just love this woman um the man in the hat says uh, uh what did she say? Okay, I didn't finish the same quote, so we'll just skip he, that. He has a great line about... Oh, that's um, what... Yes. You can't... She says, I declare, and then he says, I don't. That's how I get to keep it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he he has a great line about, you know, you. they say, like, money can't buy happiness. But what you can do is buy off unhappiness. Yes. Which is another great turn of phrase. Is more close to the truth. You, like... Depending on how much money you are, it doesn't make you happy, but I'm going to be a lot less unhappy if I'm not worrying about things. Yes. So the boss is not comfortable with having that kind of money in the office over the weekend, which is understandable. So we asked Marion to take it to the bank. And Marion has worked for him for, what they say, like 10 years. So she he mm-hmm. trusts her to take this massive amount of money to the bank. Uh, Carolyn grabs the stack of money and says, he was flirting with you. I guess he must have noticed my wedding ring. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. I don't know. I really love this character. Is but. this before or after too? My favorite part of her of her little bit is when she gives her like tranquilizers. <laughs> she gives yes. Marion tranquilizers for her. Initially, like Marion comes in the office <laughs> and she's like, you know, what was happening while I was gone? And she's like, oh, Teddy called. And then my mother called to tell me, you know, like she goes through all of this. <laughs> Like saying everybody like her whole fucking family called and she's telling Marion about this. Yeah, and then gives her tranquilizers. So then Marion asks to go home for the afternoon because she has a headache. So after the bank, she's just gonna go home instead of coming back to work. The boss says that that's fine. And then she says that she plans to spend the weekend in bed and uh, leaves with the money in her bag. And she has a white purse at this point. So, uh, next scene, Marion's changing. We have some nice music playing, Bernard Herman playing, and the camera kind of zooms around a little bit. We see her, she's changing by the closet and then kind of zooms down or pans down and we see this, the envelope of money is lying on her bed. 
and then it pans over to the side and then her suitcase is packed we see this overflowing suitcase uh, and as she's driving she seems to be going through possible interactions in her head kind of which i really like so i don't we don't really know if that's really what's uh, yeah, happening I but it feels like well. yeah she's like going through all of it's these great. possible things like this is what they're thinking the logical explanations of what pe- yeah other people would be thinking and that continues throughout the rest of her like road trip basically yes yeah. and i would argue so i would say throughout the rest of the movie too it's just in a kind of a different way we don't actually hear it but like i i love comparing her uh acting here to, to um to norman later when he is like scrambling to clean things up and avoid being caught um i think their performances are really like interesting to think about side to side how they're both like trying to rationalize what they have done and how they're going to get out of it um i think the whole movie is like a weird exploration of that right what drives you to make these like decisions and then how you deal with it afterwards right just like a general morality tale yeah exactly (laughs) good and evil so as she's she stops at a light and you know she has all this anxiety and her boss and the man in the hat walk across right next to her car in front of her on the crosswalk and the boss kind of double takes and kind of is like oh okay weird because she said she's gonna go home but now she's going the opposite direction hmm weird hey you know what she's off the clock not his business you know Marion, she, she looks story. really nervous too she's like oh she doesn't do well with the the anxious yeah. she draws a lot of attention to herself she pulls over to sleep <laughs> for the night and this cop wakes her up and he tells her that she's acting weird which she is acting weird and then he follows her for a bit and this look of relief that like flows over her as, as the cop you see the cop behind her getting off on the exit she's just like oh good but she stops at a car dealership assuming that she got off on the next exit or something she stops at a car dealership and then immediately starts acting shady again the cop pulls across the street and is watching her as she is talking to this car dealer about buying a new car and the car dealer says oh you should never be in a hurry when you're buying a car and uh she kind of keeps you know no i need it now i don't want to wait i don't want to test drive it i just want the car now i'm gonna pay cash for it basically the worst poker face yeah. of all time. Yeah. She yes. is giving off that like, yeah, like either in trouble, someone's chasing, and everyone's like, "Hey, it's you know what's going on? Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing." So like everything's then, fine. Why? Yeah. So she ends up, yeah, trades the car <laughs> with seven hundred dollars. Did you look up how much this was, Kill? Six thousand five hundred seventy-three dollars and nine cents. Oh, That's a lot for a trade-in. With, like, basically, I don't know. It just, that was a lot to me. Yeah, and the dude even says, this is the first time a customer ever high-pressured a salesman. (laughs) Which is something she that sticks with her, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of my my favorite elements of this whole movie is the way Hitchcock shoots the police officer in this, where he's kind of like, you don't see his face all that much, and he's mostly seen from, like, a distance, or just, like, a little piece of his hand or his you know, his leg, whatever, as he's sitting next to the window. It, he's so ominous and threatening, you know, as a character, just, like, sitting across the street watching her. Um, and it just, it gets you thinking, like, you, if you don't know how this story's gonna play out, you might think that this cop is, like, the villain in the movie, <laughs> almost. Mm. You know, the way he's, like, kind of watching her and, and shit. Like, I love it. It plays in the whole voyeur aspect, too, you know? Yes. So the dealer obviously notices the cop because Marion keeps looking back at him and he's just standing there with his arms crossed leaning against the cop car on the middle of the road. So uh, he tries to get her to test drive it. 
she insists she just wants the car. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so uh, she buys it. She speeds away. The cop comes over and is like walking up to her and she just sp- tries to speed away, forgets her bags. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just being very, very suspicious all around. So she goes over more possible conversations in her head as she's driving again. Um, and then the sheriff and the, the car dealer are talking um, or she hears them in her head, the sheriff and the car dealer, Carolyn and the boss, Caroline, Caroline and the boss, and then the boss and the man in the hat having these conversations, you know, okay, she isn't in yet. You trust somebody for 10 years, you know, that kind of stuff going on. Um, it starts raining. And the, the man in the hat kind of starts saying how, like, he will, you know, take it upon himself to get the money back. So, yes, obviously is the one that hires Arbogast. He's pissed. So it starts raining really hard. So she has to pull off the road. And slowly we see this like fuzzy, blurry in the distance lights. And it comes into focus and it's the Bates Motel. I got so giddy when this happened. I was like, oh, I started clapping. (laughs) I know every time. It is like it's the best uh, way to like introduce a location in any movie ever probably. It's so cool. It's so spooky and ominous seeing it through the rain and everything. I love it. So Um, we're like a half hour into the movie, basically. And this is like probably the longest kill pick ever, like at an hour and 50-ish minutes. Yes, (laughs) that's true. So we have, yeah, this this whole half hour buildup. And again, like, all right, Alfred, people could have missed all this, okay? This is not that big a deal. I don't know. I think, I mean, I think for the whole movie it's important, but in terms of like the twist, yeah. Like, you could let them in a little bit later, but I don't think it, it doesn't, I think he wanted it to land with the full impact, you know, when you get that shower scene. Um, Maybe a little hubris, too. It's my movie. Yeah. And again, oh, marketing, oh. too. <laughs> oh, You know, yeah. just marketing. Yeah, just like he, he knows how to position his movies as important and like different, you know, to get people I, we, interested. At some point, like, I don't know if we really want to get into it, but we should, like, talk. He was not a very good person. Like, <laughs> as a, a wonderful director, he was a, a big piece of shit. Yeah, he was quite abusive and kind of tortured several of uh, his actors, so, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the quote, you know, treat them like cattle. <laughs> And, uh, what, oh boy, what's, is it, it's not Janet Lee again. What's, um, the birds, uh, Tippy Tippy Hedron, right? Yeah. Tippy Hedron. Yeah. Like basically mainly tortured her during the set of that. And it just insanity. Yep. So we're at the Bates motel and no one seems to be working (laughs) in the office. So Marion just starts honking her horn because she sees this big imposing house sort of on a hill above this little motel looking down on it and this tall thin man runs down and greets her he has this sweet almost childlike way about him when we meet him um marion signs in oh he uh he he introduces himself as norman bates so marion signs in as marie samuels we know her boyfriend's name is sam so that's probably where she got that uh it's a fake name if i just in case i need to see that (laughs) say that uh, she says that Los Angeles is her hometown as well because yeah that's funny he's like oh just put in like your home your home address or your hometown or whatever and she looks at the newspaper that's sticking out of her bag and goes Los Angeles <laughs> like that's where I'm from <laughs> yes 
Uh, let's see. Norman grabs a key. He kind of hesitates and then grabs number one, like he's thinking about it. It's the closest to the office in case she needs something. That's what he says. Uh, he won't say bathroom when he's kind of showing her around the room. He just points to it and seems a little uncomfortable. Then asked her to come to the house for sandwiches and milk. She hides the money in the newspapers that say Los Angeles on them and sets it on top of the nightstand. So it just looks like she's reading a rather thick paper. Marion can hear Norman and his mother arguing because he opened the window. And this is obviously like as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, no wonder he's so childlike and also not married because his mother's like women are terrible. (laughs) Very overbearing. A, a mommy dearest, almost. like a Yeah. And she sees the silhouette of an old woman in the window, right? When she first drives up to the house. Yeah. Like walking in front of the thing before she honks, I think. Yeah, there's a couple times we see somebody standing up there. So they set up the office. Or they set up in the office to have their sandwiches. It looks just kind of like they're putting butter on bread. So Marion mentions all the stuffed birds that are all over in the office. And Norman says that he's into taxidermy. It's actually more of a hobby because a hobby is supposed to pass the time, not fill it. (laughs) He also says that a boy's best friend is his mother. He's obviously a lonely guy. Marion says she's looking for her own private island. As he puts it, his hobby is stuffing things. And me and Norman got something in common. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Go on. Continue. Oh, dear. So uh, Marion says that she's looking for her own private island, and Norman talks about being in a trap that he was born into. So there's some stuff going on there. Uh, He says his mother is ill, but not sick. She raised him by herself after his father died. Her second husband convinced her to build the motel. Then he died in what sounds like a gruesome way, because initially he just says, he kind of acts like, oh, This guy died and didn't really say how or anything. So he says um, he's a he says his son is a poor substitute for a lover and doesn't want to leave home, even though he kind of seems to hate her. He says he doesn't hate her. He says he hates the illness, not her. Uh, We see the first signs of Norman's instability here when Marion asks if he's thought about maybe putting her his mother in a facility. And he says that his mother is as harmless as the stuffed birds in his office. Literally. So she just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. That's what he says. Marion excuses herself from the office saying that she needs to get some sleep and has decided to drive back to Phoenix in the morning to return the stolen money. And she tells Norman her real name. Yeah, she, uh, at that point, like, does a little math, says like, oh, I've I've taken off this much. How much do I need to, like, put back in to get to the full 40? It's like, oh, rips it up and throws it in the toilet. So when I say that whole discussion with Norman, like, it is such a perfect way to let kind of Norman take over as, like, the main character of the movie. Because you just get this really long and in-depth, like, background on Norman that is so, so fascinating because of how Anthony Perkins delivers it all. Like, he's so captivating um that you don't kind of notice it's like a huge like exposition dump but it's not when you don't you don't care that it is because it's so entertaining to watch and it's so it's shot really well with the, the birds looming over him like it's just perfect you know it's like the perfect yes. way to give you all this information you know and have you actually care <laughs> so marion goes back to her room and norman kind of listens to her moving around 
for a little bit, maybe a minute or two. Then he removes a picture from the wall and there's a hole and he is just watching her undress. She's about to get in the shower. So then he puts the, this is the masturbation scene from the other movie that we were talking about. It's not very obvious in this one. <laughs> so he puts the picture back up, goes back up to the house. Uh, then this is when Marion does the quick math and then flushes it, rips it up and flushes it. And then that's the first time a toilet has been on screen in history. And then also to actually see it being used was another, so it was a big deal. Breaking ground. Yeah. Yep. Pushing boundaries. Real, I like I'm, I'm so shocked by that like n- nothing like an outhouse or like a uh what, what do you call it? a chamber but pot I think, like, like actually like pointing the camera straight into a toilet you know I think that's a right like that's what this movie does differently <laughs> like showing it just full on you know because those other things may be in the background or whatever but yeah and then 34 years later train spotting takes us inside of a toilet <laughs> and then flushed away takes us down into the world of you know yeah <laughs> yes so a question though do you start the water do you get into the shower and then start the water on your face directly while you're standing there because i let it run for a no, little bit absolutely not. right yeah <laughs> yeah I, i'm I was, not an don't insane do it, don't person like back then how how well was there like water heating technology though like maybe it just never got any warmer than it is at that moment you know i i think we had running hot water by yeah. then greg <laughs> yeah but the pen, this is an old motel the side of the road though you know who knows like what it's like out there right i i guess <laughs> so uh anyway for the shot they kind of look up into the the water stream of the shower head um they had a six foot diameter shower mm-hmm. head made up and blocked the central jets so that the water sprayed in a cone past the camera lens without the, every, any water actually spraying directly on it, which is pretty cool. Uh, we see as Marion is, is cool. cleaning herself, we see someone enter the bathroom through the shower curtain. So we don't we can see movement. It's like person shaped, but we don't really know what it is. So um, they whip the shower curtain open. The music starts and Marion is stabbed multiple times. And the sound that we hear is actually a cassava melon being stabbed, which I thought was pretty interesting. That's the sound of a melon. Oh. She Ooh. grabs the shower curtain and falls. So she's halfway in the tub, halfway on the floor. And the water is circling the drain. And then this, I think, is a brilliant shot where we see the water circling the drain and then how they like go into Marion's eye, kind of, and it's like slowly spinning eye. and zooming out. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. that's really cool to me. But I guess I had to shoot that a lot. This is like one of the most famous scenes of of all cinema, uh, especially just like the editing that goes along with it. I had to look it up real quick because it is it is fascinating. I believe it is seventy eight edits or cuts uh, over fifty two seconds. Forty five seconds. It's just an insane amount of time. Forty five. Okay. That was the Hitchcock. I mean, because they did like a whole documentary. Yep. Yeah. Like the documentary seventy eight over fifty two, but yeah, just like it. You know, they they talk about how quick editing has become, and this is one of these cases. Sixty years ago, when they were just off the rails with the quickness of it. Um, I always think about at this moment too. Like it's it's awesome how it is still effective when it's like 
the first example of like i mean we have a category for the masses called best kill and like this is the foundation of that because how many deaths in like a pre psycho movie can you really think of as like memorable and like visceral you know visceral like the ones we talk kind of talk about on the podcast you know i think this is the first time in a movie ever where you kind of like are getting up close and, you know with like someone getting stabbed uh, you know violence Wizard is always Oz? like <laughs> well kind of you're right melting witches and stuff yeah true yeah um, having a house fall on you but yeah i mean no i get i get what you're yeah, but this is like, like you're actually like depicting violence, murder, like right. up close. So it's violence before is always like at a distance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This um, uh, Janet Lee was only on set for three weeks to do her part of the movie, and one entire week was dedicated just to the shower scene alone. So it was Jesus. Yeah, it was a it was a big deal. Um, that that was also when we watched the movie. I remember my mom saying like, "Oh, this is the first flushing toilet in a movie," and that you know, oh, that's chocolate syrup. It's not blood. They use chocolate syrup because it looked better than like fake blood in black and white. So it was, you know, these yeah. common things that people do. So anyway, oh uh, for sure, yeah. Back to uh, dead Marion. So Norman is we can we somebody runs away the murderer runs away but then we hear norman's voice from the house yelling mother oh god mother blood blood apparently the bass frequencies were removed from anthony perkins voice to make him sound more frightened like a frightened teenager kind of instead so that's why his voice sounds a little bit different there which i i noticed and i remember thinking like why is his voice so high pitched there it just sounds a little bit different yeah it sounds weird but i just like took it as like panic you know yeah, like really being works. far it's away. It's a really or cool something. effect. Yeah. Yeah. So Norman cleans up the murder scene, puts uh, Marion's body, her belongings, and the newspaper with all the cash this into is the like, trunk of her car. It's like in real time, but yeah. like as him cleaning, like we get yeah. all of it. They spent a long time on this, yeah. But the like music I said, I, is also I like it because it makes. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I like it because I think of Marion on, you know, and her her flight from from Phoenix, you know, and I think of him I like feel, panicking the same way. And yeah, yeah, but I feel like you need a a, a long come down after like that heightened scene. Oh yeah, and the music yeah. and everything. Like you need some time to like breathe. Just watch it and mop. not have to really mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> like not have to get intri- more characters or like pay attention to anything you're just reveling in thing in what just happened is that your asmr yeah. watching people clean specifically clean murder scenes though yeah yeah <laughs> uh what was it Sun- sunshine cleaning that uh oh, Amy yeah. adams movie yeah i just i just put that on in the background <laughs> so uh all of yeah Mar- the money is gone the money goes into the trunk at this point and uh, then there is apparently a swamp nearby because Norman pushes the car into the swampy area. And we see the car slowly go down and then it stops for a second. And he's, Norman stops chewing his candy corn. He gets corn. real worried. Yeah. And then it starts going again and then he just starts <laughs> chewing his candy corn again. And apparently, fun fact about that candy corn, because he's kind of chewing throughout the movie and it's not something that I really noticed initially. I thought it was like sunflower seeds or something, but apparently Hitchcock wanted the actors to have a little bit of um what is that called when people make shit up improv yeah he wanted the actors to sort of improvise a little bit and make the characters their own in a way so that was a anthony perkins decided that he was going to eat candy corn because it is kind of a little childish like oh halloween candy 
Oh, yeah. I love it. I always think of, I I mean, yeah, it's one of my favorite little bits of his performance. Um, talking about Anthony Perkins for a second, uh, he's such a fascinating person, even just outside of this movie, too. Um, but, like, what a great actor as well. I love him in this and, like, Murder in the Orient Express. He's he's always so, so good. I mainly know him from from this and just the sequels. Yeah, which if you guys if if you watch the sequels, or I've only seen Psycho Two beyond this, but I loved Psycho Two. That really, really surprised is it me. I haven't seen any of yeah. the sequels just because this movie was, you know, my favorite for so long, and I I just assumed that the sequel sequels would be shit, so I never saw any of them. So I've been a little afraid. <laughs> but if you say it's good, I'll check it out. I I like Psycho Two. Quite a few years ago, I went through all of them. I, like I think they're pretty good the fourth one is interesting because it's a lot of like flashback Mm -hmm. it's him like talking to a radio dj or some (laughs) some guy and about about him possibly being a father and how he doesn't want to bring another monster into the world but it's really good how responsible yeah and the third one has jeff fahey in it i think anthony perkins directed the third one too right i believe so is one of them a prequel yeah, the fourth one, the beginning, because he's oh, he's okay. calling, he's talking to the radio DJ, and it's it's all about these flashbacks about him and his mother. Cool. Okay, you've convinced me. I saw some Bates Motel, and it was it's kind of weird. I'm a purist, I yeah, guess. It's, I I thought it was fine. Yeah, I didn't dislike Bates Motel, but it didn't like grab my attention. But that was interesting. You know, it's I watched the first things. season, and I've been meaning to like go and watch again. Yeah. I kind of had to separate the movie from the TV from Base Motel yeah. just because it's it it does seem like it's it's based on it. It's like loosely loosely ish based on it because it's like they have cell phones and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think of it as part of this anyway. So let's go back to the movie. Marion's dead. The car's in the swamp. So Sam, the boyfriend, is writing a letter to Marion in the back of the shop. We can see him writing. Lovely handwriting. Marion's sister, uh, Lila, arrives. She is... um, Oh, this is one week later, by the way. So she tells Sam about the money and demands to know where she is. She assumes that Marion went to her boyfriend, who's in California, which was where she was going initially. Good assumption. to say that. Yeah. 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 Um, everybody thinks that. So he denies knowing anything about it. He says, you know, I don't know. And then a private investigator named Arbogast walks in. Martin Balsam. He says a, that he has a been hired. A wonderful shot. His, yes. his entrance is just yeah. amazing. The like coming in through the door, like coming towards the camera, backing away a little bit. And then he goes towards it again. Yeah. Just so good. Because you can tell that, like you said, Kill, it's it's a it's a much lower budget, right? And it's like a TV crew, but they just make the most of every set and location they have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just shooting it from every angle, and it's all so filled with little junk in the background. I love looking at the background of his hardware store and just like, you know, it's yeah. all so so intricately designed. Yeah, it looks fantastic. This whole That's fucking movie. <laughs> back in the day before Lowe's and like big box stores. Yeah. So uh, Arbogast says that he was hired to find the money, and we can assume that it was the hat man that hired him. And yep. Arbogast says someone has seen her. Someone always sees a girl with $40,000. He also assumes that <laughs> Sam knows where she is and then 
It's like, okay, he doesn't know. So Arbogast asks around. It's like a montage of him knocking on doors and asking people if they've seen her. And he ends up at the Bates Motel. Well, it's hotels. That's the thing. He's going to all the motels and hotels because obviously she's going to be staying in the area. Yep, she's got to be somewhere. Yeah, I just I just like that a lot where it's like a montage of him knocking on doors and people shaking their heads and stuff. So he questions Norman and Norman seems older and more mature at this point. You know, like initially he seemed when he was interacting with Mary and he seemed more childlike in this one. He just seems more confident and is kind of strange, but he uh, eventually becomes kind of probably the sexual aspect of yeah. it right like yeah women, that he's talking he's, to a man he's now. gonna be more childlike right so um he he gets kind of nervous and he's getting inconsistent with his responses which obviously arborgast recognizes because he's a detective and he finds uh arborgast finds that marion was there she had registered under the name of marie samuels he has a sample of her handwriting and compares it norman uh hesitates they well he says i'm gonna be changing all the sheets and stuff you can come with me and check out the rooms or whatever so uh he hesitates skips the first room and then um arborgast sees that so he he during while they're talking he learns that marion may have spoken with uh norman's mother but norman ends the conversation tells him to leave and says like no you can't speak he has a thing where he he's Arbogast is saying something and, and Bates is talking about how uh, he wouldn't get fooled by a woman or like, you know, she might have yeah. fooled me, but she didn't oh, fool yeah, my mother. Yeah. And then that's when he's like, well, so see, she did talk to her. Like, yeah. But I, I do love that. Like, well, she might have fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother. Right. It's really chilling when you, when you know what he actually means. Yeah. Yes. Um. So he leaves because, you know, Norman got weirded out and asked him to leave so he goes to a payphone and he calls sam and lila uh, and from a pay what did i say from a payphone so he promises to call again in an hour and says he wants to talk to mrs bates and that he knows that marion was here and that she was in room number one which he figured out because norman kind of hesitated and skipped room one so then he goes back to the bates motel and uh, what is with him climbing through the passenger seat to get out the passenger <laughs> side of the door I've like seen Maybe this in those, other those improv things. Too. Yeah, don't, I don't get know. out Maybe next to the like camera. Just like a way of saying that the yeah. Oh, maybe it's that. Yeah, maybe for like a practical reason. Yeah, I don't know. There's <laughs> like no... you could see it in the window or something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So that yeah, is having maybe. to do this weird thing, you know. I don't maybe know. it's just saying that the door is stuck because the car is old. I don't know. So uh, he sneaks into the house and. Norman definitely hears him coming because he kind of like picks up the pace. Seems like he goes and hides in one of the rooms. So he finds Norman's mother or he goes to find Norman's mother and a shadow. He climb, he walks up the stairs and then a shadowy figure emerges from the bedroom in a really cool like overhead shot of that little hallway in the stairs. Stabs him and he falls backwards down the stairs. Another very memorable shot. One of my favorite things as a child that was very funny to me. Like Arbogast falling down the stairs was really funny to me for some reason. It's <laughs> it's so cool. I love it because yeah. he doesn't like tumble over. It is the whole like foot keeps like keeping himself stable, but like going down. It is one of the oddest things about yes. this movie. I but love you can it. Tell I love it's, that it's, it's, it's such a strange little moment. 
<laughs> it's like when he did Vertigo. He was like, I want a really cool camera trick. Yeah, and like, exactly. This is it yeah. for that. Like, instead of the zoom in, pull out, it's, yeah. I guess that whole shot, had, the whole scene, that thing had to be reshot because... Hitchcock was sick or something the first time it was done so he wasn't there and then when he watched it he was like this is total garbage and we have to do the whole thing over again (laughs) (laughs) yeah sounds like Hitchcock yep so he obviously doesn't call Sam and Lila back uh they don't hear from him so they get worried they go they Sam goes to the motel uh and he sees a figure in the house that he assumes is Norman's mother Lila and Sam go to wake up the local sheriff who tells them that Norman's mother died in a murder-suicide ten years earlier. This is another scene that was funny to me and my friends for some reason, and we said, Periwinkle Blue! <laughs> like, anytime, any well, color blue say, to us. It, it always, it made me think of Brad Pitt in Snatch, when he's trying to get a, like, a caravan thing for his mom. <laughs> Periwinkle Blue! I just, I, I love any old woman character in a Hitchcock movie. They're always really funny. For whatever reason, he just writes like the funniest old women. Like the mother and the birds makes me laugh a lot as well. Just the way she's so like high strung and like you yeah. know, I, I don't know. There's something where he writes something about these these like little side characters. Or if you guys remember like the old lady in the diner and the birds, who's like an ornithologist, who's <laughs> like birds can't kill. This is impossible. It's not happening. I just like I don't know what he what he just like knows how to write funny little side characters to like keep you interested. I- and in this scene, I do love the sheriff. Like, he has these kind of bug eyes. And then when he has that, like, well, Norman yeah. Bates' mother has <laughs> been dead for 10 years now. He doesn't tell them initially, though. Like, they mention his mother, like, yeah, right. a couple of times. And then finally, he's like, well, that's not possible. After they've, they're, like, worked up a little bit. And they're like, well, why not? Well, because she's been dead for, for oh, 10 years. Well, the sheriff's, the sheriff's wife, like, they mention a woman, and the sheriff's like, oh, did Norman marry? Like, it's did a Norman very take a weird... wife? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they reveal that Mrs. Bates poisoned her husband and then herself, and that Norman found them in bed, and... Was this... it... I thought it was just a boyfriend. They weren't married. They probably were going to be married, but hadn't yet. I don't know. I thought at one point he they like called him like a her husband and then maybe they said boyfriend but either way he's dead so is she. There's a great moment though where um when he says that when they say that Norman found him I think it's the old woman whispers in bed right she goes, in, in bed, bed. yeah yeah <laughs> yes um so the sheriff suggests that Arbogast may have lied to Sam and Lila so he could pursue Marion and the money if that's Mrs Bates who's buried in Green Lawn Cemetery. So we hear Mother and Norman arguing and he car- the in the next scene and he's like carries her down the stairs in another scene that we thought was funny in fifth grade where she's this... like, you think I'm fruity? <laughs> Put me down. <laughs> this might be the best shot of the movie because we we like start on the door as Norman comes in and the camera raises itself like almost to the ceiling and then points itself down yeah, it's to really then cool. where you are right above the the doorway of the entrance to Mrs. Bates' bedroom. So then when Norman does carry her out, like, we don't see any faces. We just see, like, the shapes and as he takes her down the stairs. It is just, like, a pitch-perfect camera movement. In, like, in the 60s, I don't think I've seen anything come close to that 
sense. Like, it really is just a wonderful storytelling device. Yeah, yeah. And it's, a, again, like, making really good use of, like, the limited spaces and, like, locations they have. Um, and also talk about, you know, born into a prison. It's, it's like showing his life as a sort of, like, diorama from above. It's cool. I love that. Uh, I also love, there's a great shot, right, uh, kind of before that, when Sam goes out looking for Arbogast at the base motel. And he's, like, yelling his name. And there's a shot down kind of at the swamp of, like, Norman turning around. And just, like, the look on his face of, like, almost being caught. He's, like, in this weird, like, feral mode, you know, having just disposed of Arbogast's body. Like, I love that shot. Um, and I totally forgot about that. That's, like, you said, you talked about earlier about jazz and listening to Space 1.8 and catching something new. That's that's how it is watching this movie for me. Um, there's, like, a little new favorite thing every time. And I, I just love that shot of Norman turning around, you know, like, just, like, post-crime. Uh, I don't know why that really jumped out at me this time. So Lila and Sam go to church with the sheriff and his wife for some reason. Uh, they're convinced that something has happened to Arbogast, so they drive to the motel. Because the sheriff pretty much is not helping them at this point. So Sam says, I wonder where Norman does his hermiting. Then <laughs> uh, Norman says that uh, the room is $10, which is $93.90 today. Sam gives him $10. Jesus. Well, and he also wants a receipt. They have a whole thing they're going to... They're going to pretend to be a couple. They were going to drive. They don't want. They want to stop. They don't like the cloud. And when they ask for the room, and they're like, or Norman's like, "Can I get your luggage?" He's like, "We don't have any bags." And then that's when he's like, "Well, what? don't you want to like get us to pay up front because we don't <laughs> have any bags?" Oh, okay, yeah, yeah ten dollars. And yeah, he's he wants to like keep drawing it out. Well, I need a receipt. My boss is paying for this, so. Talking about, like, you know, um, Marion earlier not having a good poker face. They don't either. They're, like, coming in so aggressive. And like, well, I was, know, like, looking around. No chill whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Sam's a bit demanding. With, the, with a woman that looks exactly like the woman you <laughs> killed, like, a week ago. Like, exactly. D- dead ringer. Yes. So they uh, go into room one and they find that there's no shower curtain. They mention that. Ah, no shower curtain. And they they find a tiny shred of the paper that she ripped up when she did her quick math on it and flushed it down the toilet. But they find this little piece that says 40000 on it. So they know that she was there. Uh, then Sam goes and distracts Norman in the office while Lila sneaks into the main house. She's looking for the mother. She wants to talk to the mother. She finds a human-shaped indentation in a mattress. That was always creepy as shit to me yeah this made me think do you know the uh faulkner story a rose for emily no no i don't think i've heard anyway, of that. it's a, it's a short story basically about this um uh daughter of the civil war in the south and georgia i i believe and anyway it comes down to she had a lover that disappeared and at the end of the story it finds out that she poisoned him with arsenic and then put him in the bed and then would be sleeping next to the corpse for like Ooh. decades. And this, it all comes out like after she dies and they go into the house. Uh, but there's also a point in the story, like people keep complaining of the smell around her house <laughs> to the point where she doesn't do anything that they get people in the middle of the night to like throw lime around her house to make it like smell better. 
But just that, like, yeah, that that indentation of a body in the bed just automatically took me back to high school. AP English. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. That raises the question: Does the Bates does the Bates house smell like shit because of Norma's body up there? <sighs> She's probably stuffed. Oh yeah, did he stuff her? Yeah, did he taxidermy her? hundred percent. Yeah. 100%, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably yeah. been long. Enough. I mean, it is his hobby. Yeah, probably doesn't true. smell too weird. It's his life. So, while I was <laughs> searching around, she's looking for stuff. She finds Norman's room. It's still very childlike. There's toys and a small cot in the corner, which, I mean, Norman's a tall dude. He's like 6'2". He's sleeping in that little cot, basically, like in the corner of the room. Uh, let's see. Norman then, uh, as Sam is, they're having conversation. Sam's kind of like getting a little aggressive with this questioning there. Norman gets agitated and then knocks him unconscious. They kind of struggle and bam, hits him in the head. Sam is unconscious. So Norman runs up to the house. Lila's uh, hiding in the fruit cellar. She like runs down to the fruit cellar and she discovers something massive. She discovers mother is a fully dressed mummified corpse chilling in the fruit cellar. Uh, she screams, obviously, and she kind of whips her hand back and hits the light, which is like flying. It makes yeah, it, yeah. it's such a cool effect. It's very evil it's dead like, when, he, when he's in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, so, it's so cool. So then, um, she turns around as, you know, she's screaming and behind her, Norman comes in and he's dressed as mother. He has a wig on. He has his dress over his regular clothes and he has a knife in his hand. He looks real fucked up at this point. Um, but then Sam somehow woke up. I guess he was only a little bit unconscious or something. So he came, comes in right behind Norman, <laughs> grabs him, and subdues him, I guess. So that's the big reveal. And Norman gives up kind of quickly. Like, it is, he is almost, has the strength of an old woman. Like, <laughs> Maybe when you can't he's see in that it, state. Like- Sam punched him into kidneys or something, you know, coming in from the <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he's just resigned. He's um, just like, I'm so tired of this. Yeah, that's true. He's finally caught. Yeah. When I first watched this, like, in full, I think maybe four years ago or so, we had, like, a, there was, like, a family member visiting, and I had it on in the morning, and the family member was, like, coming in and out, like, watching parts. I'd never seen it before either, right? Knew nothing about it somehow. Just somehow, just, like, you know... And probably, I think they said they like they knew the music and the shower scene, and that was about it. Like they didn't know the final twist. And when it happened, they just like laughed their asses off at the image of Norman coming out with the knife. I don't know what struck them as like that funny, but it did like severely hurt my my uh my viewing of Psycho in full for the first time to like build that big reveal, and then have the person just like die laughing next to me you know (laughs) yeah yep so this next scene i always thought was completely pointless and then it it turns out that other people have felt that way as well but we'll get to that um but we get a full explanation from a psychiatrist like explaining everything to us they uh the dude explains that norman murdered his mother and her lover 10 years earlier so it was not murder suicide it was just regular old murder matricide murder 
Norman mummified his mother's corpse or did some taxidermy magic to it, I guess, um, and then began treating it, <laughs> treating the body as if she were still alive. He recreated his mother in his mind as an alternate personality, as jealous and possessive toward Norman as he felt about his mother. When Norman is attracted to a woman, the mother side takes over. So uh, they say that he had murdered two other young women before. Um, the psychiatrist asked, they, do you have any other yeah, missing persons? Yeah, they that there were. Yeah. Right. Uh, and if you look I, at the guest that, book. There's a really good. Yeah. That, that's probably the best way. There is a really good line reading where somebody like says he's a transvestite and then the psychiatrist goes, uh, not exactly. Just the way <laughs> like he breaks in for that is, uh, not. Yeah, just really good. And he good. gives a wildly I, outdated uh, <laughs> definition. Yeah. I, I liked how the guy was really sure of himself too when he's, he's like, oh yeah, that's what it is. It's it's a really it's not a necessary scene at all, but I actually it is still well performed, <laughs> you know. Like I don't find yeah. it boring. It's I think just, it's really fine really with it. It's just one it. of those things like nowadays where you yeah don't really yeah you don't need it. That's my thing. I think perhaps nowadays when we have all come to an understanding that these are things that could happen, but like in 1960, did the common person really like have an a, a, an understanding of like a split personality? disorder no. and, so i feel like this was something for the time and it's it's something <laughs> like, so we like weirdly new to that it's like baked into the plot because they keep harping on how the money is a factor in this how it factors in right then norman saw that she had the money killed her for the money so they're searching for the money but he it's not about that whatsoever his motives are completely divorced from what they understand excuse me what they understand like no one even thinks that like his motive is something rooted in his childhood with his mother you know right like they can't get past that because that's what they would they see the forty thousand dollars yeah instead of like a victim which is just all that norman or norman's mother sees yeah yep so the psychiatrist uh concludes that mother is now completely taken over norman's personality dominant there's no more norman it's just mother now so one of my favorite parts of this whole scene is when somebody asks the psychiatrist something and he goes yes and then there's this long pause and he goes and no (laughs) (laughs) that was very funny to me still i still laughed about that now nowadays so uh yeah hitchcock hated the wrap-up scene but um and so did most people but i guess that was a studio the studio wanted that they needed the explanation and the wrap-up and everything so i find it's necessary i think it works so the final scene is Norman sitting in a jail cell wrapped in a blanket. Well, he asked for the blanket. So we hear Mother's voice. It's Norman's internal monologue saying that the murders um, were all his doing. It was all Norman that did it and that she couldn't even hurt a fly. And there's a very famous, you know, the fly is like walking on her and she says she's not even going to swat the fly because they'll mm-hmm. see that she wouldn't even hurt a fly. So she um, she looks up at the camera or he looks up norman looks up at the camera and he has this the creepiest grin on his face and there's a slight overlay of a skull of mother's skull and then it transitions into marion's car being pulled out of the swamp that shot of the skull that was something i didn't i didn't catch the first couple times i watched this um but it's that's a really cool little detail that they they threw in there right at the end yes i love um older movies uh, like 
doing the titles and shit in the the front so we get the car being pulled out and it's just the end blackness and you're out of there in like yeah. 30 seconds like I, it's much more impactful than like having just fade to black and then titles start running and everything like it your credits you know when something goes in to say way at the beginning of this was um the fact that like how many movies of this era are how many movies are there of this era where you enjoy watching the credits the way you enjoy watching them in psycho it's like hitchcock just knew how to make every single moment of the movie like entertaining in some way you know so instead of just looking at names you get this like really right. cool Saul Bass designed art sequence. It's awesome. Unless it's like a a Marvel movie or something where it's like you're getting graphics on top of all, or yeah. like you know you're. Uh, I'm trying to think of other ones where you know, like you see the character or they'll play like a. That's little not the clip only time something. you see anything yeah. like that. I feel like title sequences have completely gone away, except for like James Bond movies now. You know. Well, it was it was Star Wars, right? Star Wars was the one that really did that because they like didn't started didn't to kind of change want, things up, yeah. Because he wanted the opening crawl to be the first bit, like he didn't want to have to credit anyone, or like I guess wanted to put you in this world automatically, right? Right. Yeah. So, yes, I love this movie. Well, do we want to give some thoughts? Maybe come up with something to rate it out of. I have a thought. So Norman's kill count is six. The two girls before Marion, then Marion, the mother and the mother's Implied. lover, and Arbogast. Yeah. So we have six. But he only asked if there were, those police officers are only going to know about local girls, and it's a motel. It used to be a bustling motel, so there could he could have been killing for a long time. So there could be more than six people. Especially back Definitely. then, like, Police didn't really talk to each other, like different departments and stuff. So there could be missing people from literally anywhere. You can go through yeah. the, the book. But if they used Marie Samuels type of alias, you just don't know. It's also fictional. So <laughs> we didn't really mention it, but there, the hotel is off of the old highway. So apparently they built something new. So then just nobody's coming around. And yeah. even when uh, Arbogast comes, he's like, oh, you know, I didn't. I almost missed you because you didn't have the sign on. He's like, yeah, sometimes I forget. Well, you know, honestly, I just didn't even want to turn it on. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love that line. I love because it's just it's mentioned like the loneliness of Norman, you know, um, that's the, the thing. I, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's my thought of this movie. So I love that it, it it does give you empathy for Norman in a way and you understand his background, why he is the way he is. He's not just like a tossed off like crazy character um and i feel like you know it's the same with gein like you yeah i i mean i have some sympathy because it is like uh such a horrendous childhood like abuse from the mother that like formed this monster like who knows nature nurture like had he just been in a whole nother circumstance like with a different parents like how he would have turned out but it didn't turn out any other way because of what happened to him. Yeah. Um, so I just, I find that really interesting. And I, I, it's, it's just weird that like somehow this movie then turns into like down the road through various inspirations, like Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees, these faceless, emotionless killers <laughs> when Norman is like such a good human character, you know what I mean? And there is such focus like paid to like his thoughts and feelings and his background. Um, 
So yeah, that was my big takeaway. And I think when I first watched this all the way through, which is how much depth there is to this beyond like what it inspired, you know, that it's just a great movie on its own. It's a really fascinating story. Yeah. I'd say watching this again in my 30s, I was kind of shocked that this was my favorite movie starting in fifth grade for years. That's not a kid's movie. <laughs> and it seems, you know, it's like such an old person movie. Not I guess. very. It seems, yeah. It no, does speak yeah. to like, the kill inside you like uh, i imagine 11 12 year old girl <laughs> but like acts more like a 55 year old you know i am half dorothy's born act, half 15 year old boy that's what i say <laughs> um i think i we talked about the birds at some episode weeks and weeks ago but like i mentioned how um at the screening of that the guy was like yeah it's my favorite movie when i was a kid i saw it when i was like six and like most of the audience like said that they saw it when they were kids. Or just something about Hitchcock that is like it appeals to literally everybody of every age, you know. Just something about the way he shoots his movies probably. And in the late nineties it is just so it's just soft, like soft horror because yeah. it's black and white, exactly, there's not yeah. blood. <laughs> it's it you don't see like nowadays, like we don't watch thirty days of night with a ten year old and that dude's head, you know, is cut off with an axe is like dangling. Yeah. That type of stuff. Well, maybe you would show 10. Now, I don't know. Yeah, remember, and, and, I, I was kids. watching Scream at 10, so, <laughs> you know. Some kids were watching that own. kind of stuff, yeah. But you're yeah. right. Like it is, it is like an acceptable horror for kids because, I mean, it's like that first scene, right? It's not, it's not actually showing anything. They never say they just had sex, but that's definitely what just happened, you know. <laughs> Wait, they had sex? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what do we want to rate this out of? And then we can give some final thoughts. I, I think there's one obvious one. Shower curtains. Yeah, shower curtains is good. Periwinkle blues. That's not an object. There you go. I like periwinkle blues. <laughs> periwinkle blue <laughs> funeral dresses. Yes. drink a uh, Or thirst a Oh, it was thirst a Never mind. I was going to say there was a line that I wrote down from my hat, man. He says, I'm dying of thirst a Rooney. He's so funny and when he makes the joke and like puts his hand over his mouth. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have to go first because I'm hosting. It, you gotta you gotta pick the, the rating. Periwinkle blue funeral dresses. Um so I I've already said that I think the that this movie is perfect. Um the title sequence just sucked me in instantly. Um I still it was just really good, and watching it, I was like, "Damn!" As a as a fifth, fifth grader, this movie stood out to me. This is, you know, it's timeless, despite being in black and white. And the choice to make it in black and white was just really smart, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's a perfect movie. So I am giving it five periwinkle blue uh, funeral dresses. All right! Wow! I I it is it is an pretty nearly perfect movie i it has been emulated for for years everyone you know mostly everybody except for the one person that greg watched it with like knows <laughs> a lot of the shit um you know perkins is is such a like great actor for this role and really dives into both the highs and the lows like when he is being a child it's it's fantastic and you know wonderful and then when he is turning you you start when marion starts seeing that other side of him it is very taken aback like it is 
hard to see after what we've just experienced. Uh, I also really loved his performance when he comes back down with the sandwiches. He just looks so defeated after his mother has yelled at him. And then you realize he was yelling at himself. It's just, it's, it's a great, it's a great turn. Hitchcock is one of, like we said, probably the most famous, well-known, like, fantastical directors. And I think he is, he is the reason why I am not going to give this a perfect score. Just for, just of how much of a piece of shit he is, I am going to rate this 4.8 Periwinkle Blue Funeral Dresses. Just it's so it's, it's hard to get it out of my mind of how periwinkle blue funeral Winkle. dresses of just Winkle. how <laughs> of of how he tortured just people in general and um and women especially blonde women blonde yeah. women particularly yeah. yes there's and there's that whole HBO movie that's just about that right it's like Toby Jones as Hitchcock. And I think it's Tippy Hedron. I think, I think so. it's There's that also that, that really weird movie just called Hitchcock with um, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Hopkins yeah. as Hitchcock that looked really awful. I never saw that, but that just I never like, saw that one either. Yeah, that looked terrible. Um, the Girl is the one with Toby Jones and gotcha. Sienna Miller as Tippy Hedron. Um, okay, so uh, to wrap up what I so psycho to me, it's just like I uh, it was so cool when I finally first saw it a couple years ago, just that like it was this absolute legend of a movie that's been copied and parodied and like riffed on and has inspired so much. And then when you watch it, it still completely holds up as like just a super fun watchable movie with good, interesting characters and also what you like, you know. Uh, clear like groundbreaking like uh, <laughs> shots and and uh, performances it's just cool it's just it's a total package for a movie like, it's got incredible you know crazy good music and it looks fantastic and the acting's great it's got funny characters and good line I mean there's just nothing what <laughs> what is there to argue about with it it's great um, the Hitchcock aspect of him being a dick that is obviously something you know uh, you have to take into account for a lot of just movies all the time everywhere um as like a movie though it is like absolutely five periwinkle blue periwinkle <laughs> blue funeral yes. dresses you said it right. um yeah also i did watch i've watched this movie twice with somebody who didn't know anything about it because the third or so time i watched it, i was showing my nephew who is on the younger side i think he was about 16 and uh he had never he had never known he didn't know anything except for the shower scene that's all he knew he didn't know that was a major character he just thought that was like a kill in the movie hmm. and uh he loved it and he yeah he really really enjoyed it he was shocked by the ending yeah got him good awesome all right and i wanted to real quick go back psycho gets a five out of five upon upon thinking about it for the past couple days i cannot judge the art by the artist metric so you guys were right our first all five right yeah that's the first one psycho cracked it yeah i i I denied it for scream and and i will not be revising that score uh i remain steadfast in my decision but uh yeah psycho then is the first all fiver i i just i had to get back there and 
think yeah. about it a lot. I know but I you, upset I mean, Kill. You had me thinking about it too, though. Um, and like, because that is something I think about a lot with Hitchcock as well, because I watch his movies and I'm like, shit, these are all great. But you just have to find like, hey, it's not even just him that makes it great. He's not the only factor in what makes a movie good. Right. You know, it's like Anthony Perkins is fucking stellar performance and like the Bernardo Herman score and the Saul Bass. Like there's so many other factors to celebrate about it, you know? And there's no way I can like justifiably say I like Annie Hall distinctly <laughs> apart from Woody Allen. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, I was looking at it real quick. The Hitchcock one with uh, Hopkins is actually about the making of Psycho. Make of Psycho, right? Yeah. Cause I think it's Scarlett so- Johansson plays janet lee is janet lee jessica beale is uh, vera miles like yeah you have a bunch of people playing people james darcy is anthony perkins so i'm i'm gonna have to check this one out as well yeah me too danny houston is in it oh (laughs) Ooh. okay now you got my attention yeah all right so uh greg what are we watching next week um, yeah, next week, continuing the themes of firsts, um, I'm going way back in my memory, and I thought of the, I remember the first horror movie I can think of that I watched beginning to end is going to be 1999's The Haunting, starring Liam Neeson, Ooh. and uh, I can't remember, the other, who's in that rest, I, oh my god, what is it, Catherine, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Zeta-Jones. Yeah. Yeah, Owen Wilson. Is it Lily? (laughs) Lily Taylor. Owen Wilson, of course. Yeah, Lily Taylor Wilson. Wilson. Yes. Yep. Um, Yeah, much like what I scream for you, I remember a blockbuster rental, not picked by me, a a five-year-old, but um, I can remember coming home from blockbuster and putting on this 1999 uh, masterpiece. (laughs) We'll find out. A retelling of, of a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. It's a movie. It's a 1999 movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. You can always contact us through email, weeklypodcastmassacre at gmail.com. We have both Twitter and Instagram, both Weekly Massacre. Let us know what you think about Psycho, about Hitchcock, about um, dressing up as your mother and killing people. You know, just anything generally along the lines of Psycho. Um, that's gonna... Ru- oh, I did want to say, th- did you guys know that there was a 1987 TV movie called Bates Motel? In no. which Bud, I Bud Court, famous for Harold and Maude, plays Bates' uh, roommate in the, the loony bend, and then when Bates <laughs> dies, he inherits the motel, and then he's wow. going to try and make it a reputable business. What, what a great idea for... A series. Yeah, I don't know. I got like five minutes into it and fell asleep. I want to watch it, but like I, I know Jason Bateman is in it. Yeah, what? I like the thought that Norman amended his will so that a, another patient, this guy he met, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yes. Uh, and I'm wondering if the movie is is going to be like it's the place that's evil and then makes right. him kill people. <laughs> like that's the only thing that oh, makes God. sense to me. The motel is evil. I was going to say another big reason right. I'm a fan of Psycho in the past couple of years is the Bates Motel at the Universal lot. Uh, yeah, and for Horror Nights this year, I got to walk on the steps of the motel and then walk up to the house. They were having a it's little still walk there. Of it. Yeah. I no, I was gonna say that I hope that the movie is just this man getting out of the psych ward and doing really well with his business, his small business that he inherited. 
<laughs> like it's sold as a horror, but it's just really feel good TV. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just has this tragic past they don't really can talk about. Yeah. It just turns it around, renews the reputation and <laughs> and takes a, a husband or wife, a partner, maybe a live in lover. Just a nice movie. Come, it becomes more of a B and B, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come up to the main house for breakfast. It's a big house. They could like host singles night in the living room or something. Or the parlor. I guess there'd be a parlor. I imagine them playing Parcheesi. We are reviving this show. We are. We will, we will write the uh, the new pilot for for the new Bates Mattel. Somebody starring... needs to send some of our ideas because we have that ravenous. Yeah, definitely. Grey's Anatomy. I'll spin-off. use my, my Hollywood connections. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye, Hail Satan. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Hail Satan.